Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 122. And today, we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' probably his most well-known parable, the parable of the lost son. Yeah, Jesus and parables, you know, which basically is a story with an implied comparison. This is one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching, is telling a story. So he has many, many parables. If you were to read uh, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books tell all about the life of Jesus, you'd find lots of parables in there. Because this was the way that he, his preferred way of teaching. Now, (laughs) we tend not to teach this way anymore. Um, We're far more likely to just give out facts, right? We try and make things as clear as possible. This is how you bake a cake. You know, two cups of flour, one cup of sugar, a stick of butter, this kind of thing. And it's very, very clear and it's laid out. This is how you bake the cake. This is, here are the steps. Now, when you talk about your inner life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, insight, that is an inadequate way of teaching because God can't be summed up easily and quickly. It it just doesn't work that way. So Jesus told parables, and they're meant to pique your curiosity. In a parable, you're encouraged to use your imagination Now, sometimes when you read a parable, they're just not clear. And even Jesus' students in Jesus' day, the disciples would ask him privately after a teaching. They'd say, I don't know what you're saying. What what did you mean by that? When he gave out, for example, the parable of the sower, won't go into it just now, but the, the disciples' response was, I don't know what that means. And he had to explain it to them. Uh, but, but oftentimes he didn't explain. He would just sort of leave the story out there and the idea was that people had to think about it and ponder it and mull over it and see what kind of insight they got. So this is, this is a parable about, it's called the lost son or the prodigal son. That old word actually prodigal means wasteful. It means extravagant. So... This parable is a little bit more accessible uh, in terms of understanding it because it's about a family. So we can relate to that, right? Most of us can relate to that at some level or another. And parables, they either tell us how to live, they they can give us wisdom for living, Or sometimes parables tell us something about God. And I think this is a parable that tells us something about God. And when parables tell us something about God, they tell you something you don't know, or you haven't considered, or you find it hard to believe. In other words, they give you a new perspective. When Jesus came teaching... He didn't teach like all the other rabbis because he was giving an absolutely new way of thinking about life and yourself and other people and God. So all these parables that he gives are just packed with 
new insight, new information. And so it is with this uh, story we have today called The Lost Son or The Prodigal Son, which is about a young man that gets off track, leaves home, makes all the wrong choices, and then comes home again. Nothing unusual so far, right? Countless people have done the same thing throughout their life. So on one level, it is kind of a normal story. There's kind of nothing unusual about a young man going wild and wanting to get away. But there are elements in this that are highly unusual, and that's what we're going to look at today. And this is from Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to give you the brief story and then highlight a couple of things of interest. And the parable begins... And remember, context is always important when you're reading the scripture. Who is he talking to? What's going on? Otherwise, you can make the Bible say whatever you want, which is what we don't want to do, right? We want to get insight from this. We don't want to read everything into it. So the parable begins with Jesus uh, telling this story to a group of religious leaders. And these religious leaders, what we would call, I suppose, the clergy of the day, were quite disapproving of him. They didn't like Jesus. They were disapproving of him because, well, mostly they didn't understand him and he didn't do things the way they did things and he kept the wrong company. He hung out with the wrong people. It wasn't like Jesus just hung about with a group of academics talking about theology all day. It was an entirely different way of living, right? So that's the context. He's speaking to a group of people who disapprove of him. And I've always found it ironic that the main hassles were from the religious people. Yeah, the church folk were the main hassles. So here's the story. A man has two sons. And the youngest son said to his father, well, I would like my share of the property. I want everything that belongs to me now. I'd like my inheritance now. I'm leaving. And uh, so, yeah, I want my inheritance now. So very strange thing to ask. And in Jesus' day, this would be like saying to your father, you're dead to me. I want nothing more to do with this family. I'm finished with this family. So I want my inheritance today. Meaning, now, this was an agrarian culture, so it would be like, okay, you need to sell the farm, you need to divide the land, all the servants that you have, I want a third of them, all the animals, I want a third, all the cash, I want a third. Yeah, kind of amazing, because the father gives the younger son, his inheritance. So there's the first odd thing in the story. The father says, yeah, okay, you can have it, which is unheard of today. And then in traditional Middle Eastern culture, to ask for your inheritance while your father's still alive and while your father's still in good health, well, first of all, it's a request that should never have been made. And secondly... No human father would agree to this. So here's our first clue. 
No human father would say yes to such a selfish request. But this father says yes. So immediately we know this father's not like a human father. This father is not like a human father. So the young boy gets a third of everything, land, animals, servants, money, turns his inheritance into cash, leaves home, and squanders the lot on just squanders every penny in the high life, party time, and he runs out of money. And he's hungry, so he has to find a job, and he finds his job as a hired hand on a farm, and he actually ends up having to feed pigs, which... <laughs> Remember, for an ancient Jew, these uh, pigs were not kosher beasts. You would not work with pigs. You would not eat pigs. You would have nothing to do with pigs at that time. It was forbidden. Won't go into all of that, but it was forbidden. It was not kosher. So the fact that he's actually, this is where he's ended up, working in another country as a hired hand, working with pigs, He's starving, he's run out of money. It is just the worst thing ever. And there he is, he's starving, and the text tells us that he came to his senses. And the Middle Eastern translations uh, translate that line, he came to his senses as, he got smart. He got smart. Meaning... Not necessarily by the way that he's sorry or, oh my goodness, I should never have done this. It's more a case, I think, that there he is, starving, working with the pigs, and he's thinking, I've got to find a way out of this. I, I, I need to go back. I'm not, this, I'm not going to survive here. I have got to find a way to go back home. So I know what I'll do, and he has this plan. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go back and I'll say, um, Father, um, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Oh, just treat me like a hired hand. And yeah, maybe he'll, maybe, the, maybe my father will take me back and maybe he'll take me on as a hired hand. And, you know, I'll kind of pay off a bit, you know? It's almost like I'll work off the debt a bit, not that it would be possible, but he's trying to soften the blow, right? Is he sorry? No, we don't necessarily know. Is he brokenhearted he did such a thing? Um, not necessarily, we, we don't know that. What we do know is he's cashless, he's starving, he's squandered all his money, and life is not working for him. Life isn't working for him. So he sets off on the journey back home. It's a long, long way home, the parable tells us. Verse 20, and while he's still way, way far off from home, the father sees him. Obviously, dad's looking out for him. He's looking in the distance, waiting for him to come home. While he's still far off, his father sees him He's filled with compassion and goes running toward him. And when he, when he catches up with him, when he finds the boy, he puts his arms around him, 
And he kisses him, and before, before the big speech from the son, before, before the son gives the, rehear, the rehearsed speech, you know that one, oh, Father, I've sinned against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, and take me back as a hired hand. Before that, Father ignores all of that, he calls on his servants, and he says, quick, bring out the best robe, which is always a symbol of status in the old ancient times. And put a ring on his finger. Well, that's a sign of authority. This is my child. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He's not a hired hand. And get the fatted calf because we are, we're going to celebrate. Get the, catted, the fatted calf and, and, and roast it because this son of mine was dead and now he is alive. He's alive. He was lost and now he's found. The father is just so thrilled with the whole thing. can hardly stand it. So this huge, big celebration happens. In the meantime, music's playing, the feast has begun. The elder brother comes home. He has been working all day in the fields and he hears the music. He comes home and he says, uh to one of the servants, what's the music? What's going on? And the servant says, well, your, your brother came back. Yeah, your, your brother returned. Back? What do you mean? Yeah, well, he came back and your father was so overjoyed that he wanted to celebrate and so we have this party. Now, the other brother's like, we're having a party because he's come back? Now, he's not annoyed that his brother's back. He's annoyed that the father is making such a big deal of this. It's like, you're kidding me. After how he treated us and he took a third of our property and our land and our animals and, and our everything, and he squandered it, one big party, prostitutes, and all the other stuff he did? You're kidding me. No, the servant says, no, I mean, your, your, your father was just so overjoyed. I mean, he's, he's in there now. So from the elder brother's perspective, it's almost like he's, this young, younger brother's getting rewarded for such selfish, foolish behavior. And so the elder brother refuses to go into the party. And he stands outside seething with resentment. I mean, the sheer unfairness of it all. And the father comes outside and he starts to plead with them. He loves them both, by the way. The father loves the eldest son. The father loves the young son. And the father says to the eldest one, come in, come on in, join the party. Your brother's back and we have to rejoice because he was lost. But now he's home. He was lost, but now he's, he's back, he's found. And the elder brother says, really? Really? Uh, may I remind you that he has just squandered a third of everything we own? And how do you know he's truly sorry? Even he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's the most accurate thing he said in a long time. And why doesn't he work off what he owes us? Why shouldn't he pay back everything? Nothing's free in this life, right? No, no, huh. there's no way I'm coming into that party. 
And so he stands outside, no doubt arms folded, with this disapproving look in his face. It's like, this is, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. And again, it's not that his brothers returned this offensive, it's the way he's treated by the father. I mean, what kind of a father would do this? What kind of a father is this anyway? Who would do this? Looking out for him every day, hoping, hoping he'd return after what he has done. And then he sees him coming and running down the driveway. How undignified. Goodness, it's a patriarch in a, you know, ancient Eastern culture. Flings his arms around him. Doesn't even listen for an apology. It's just over the top. It's too much. And the elder brother doesn't approve of his brother and he doesn't approve of his father either, the whole thing. It's like, who behaves this way? What kind of a father is this? Yeah, this is the key thing. One of the key things, I think. I mean, it's like, what kind of a father behaves this way? Well, it is someone that's more concerned about reconciliation than anything else. The father. The God figure in the story. Someone that is more concerned about reconciliation than anything else. This is about a father that is motivated by compassion and love and acceptance. So very indirectly, Jesus is saying, you know what, this is the way God is. Now, whether you understand it or approve of it, whether you've experienced it, whether you can receive it or not, this is the way God is. This is what unconditional love looks like. It looks like a father falling all over the sun before he has a chance to say he's sorry before he gets a chance to fix his life. The robe's on him, the ring's on his finger, the party's planned. Yeah. It's a very, very different way of viewing God. A very different way of viewing God. Actually, Parables called the lost son, it's about, it's really two lost sons. They're both lost in different ways. The eldest, the eldest son does everything right. He works hard. He's responsible. He does everything right. He's just filled with resentment and anger and unforgiveness. And he's lost in that way. <laughs> Whereas the young one, is lost, who left, is lost in a different way, isn't he? So there's, in other words, there's different ways that we can be lost, but we can get lost very, very easily. Both sons can't receive from the father. The young one thinks he has to leave home and get away as far as possible before he finds true life and fun and true adventures and he, he, he thinks he needs to go off to the far country. In other words, for, this, for the young son, r real living 
is it's always out there, right? I mean, it's always, it's not what I have here. It's not what I have here at home. No, 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 it's, it's got to be out there. It's got to be away from the Father. So he's got this idea he needs to get away from the Father, break with everything before he can really be happy, before he can really find life, which, which is a, a fascinating thing to consider because this is a similar point to Adam and Eve, that theme. Remember, with Adam and Eve, they were told, don't eat the fruit from one particular tree. And when the serpent comes along, the serpent says, basically, you better eat that fruit because God's withholding something from you. This, it's a similar theme. It's, a, it's kind of subtle, but for the lost son, it's the same thing. I've got to get away from the father because he's withholding something from me. I'm never going to reach my full potential here. I'm never going to have life work for me here. So he has to get away as far as possible. Adam and Eve, they have to get away, disobey, do their own thing, because what could God possibly know, right? Because God would withhold something good from me. Isn't that interesting? Now again, the elder brother, he didn't run off, but he's in a different kind of far country. He didn't leave, he's there, he's doing all the right things, keeping the rules, being good, but he's miserable. He's miserable, he said, I've been slaving away working here. You never gave me any fatted calf. You never gave me a party for my friends. In other words, you don't give me enough. And I don't like it. And there's a coldness to him. And he stands outside refusing to come in. So both sons don't see the father as the answer to anything, really. They see him as withholding, not giving enough, not loving enough, not caring. And both sons, in a way, strike out on their own. Exact same thing with Adam and Eve. I think it's a pattern of um, humanity, really. You know, I think that this is the default for humanity, in a sense that we get the idea that if we're ever going to be truly fulfilled and happy, uh, we're going to have to make it happen on our own, by ourselves, working away, figuring things out, uh, going to the far country if necessary, whatever that would be, because... Nobody's really helping us. Yeah. It's like Jesus is saying, hmm, is that, is that really how you think God is? Is, is, that, is that the way that you view God? Don't, don't you know that God is like a good father? And I mean this particular kind of father, this one in the parable. See, as far as God's concerned, everybody needs rescued. We all need rescued. Everybody's a mess. Everyone is a mess. We, we're all a mess. This is the starting point, basically, of Christianity, of our particular faith tradition. Starts off, everybody needs help. 
Everyone is in a, me a mess, right? Everybody's broken. We're just broken in different ways. Now, so sometimes the ways that we're broken, you know, s some people look respectable, like the elder brother. And, and some, sometimes people are obviously making wrong choices, like, like the younger brother when he wasted his life. But it doesn't really matter whether you're respectable or whether you're not in some ways, because both boys need rescued. And they can't do it without God's help. They can't do it without the Father. They can't do it without the Father coming running. You know, this is, this is part of three parables. There's, there's the lost sheep, and then there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost son. And it's the same theme in all three parables. Luke 15, you can read it for yourself. They're all the same. Basically, the parables, the stories are saying it is so easy to get lost. It is so easy to forget who you are. Um, and, and sometimes we, we can get in touch with our lostness really easily because we're filled with grief and we think, I am just so, I'm feeling so lost just now. I'm just so, I'm just grieving so much. Or uh, we can get lost in unforgiveness is just a really common one. Um, we can get lost in anger. Why did you allow this, or why did this have, have to happen to me? You know, we can live in that place for years. We can get um, lost in sadness. We can get lost in ambition. Um, we can get lost in pursuing the wrong thing. There's so many ways we can really just end up on the wrong track. And I think a big theme in this story is Jesus is saying, you know, if you feel lost in whatever capacity, do you know that you have a God that is running toward you? And it's not dependent on you. It's not depending on, on, on you doing the right thing or getting it right or saying the right words or making up for it. You can't make up for stuff with God. You, you can't. That's just the way it is. That's why, that's why the word grace is such a big deal. That's why we sing about amazing grace, because it means it's a gift. It's a gift. You can't make up for stuff, so there's, there's no point in trying. It's better to just receive the second chance Receive the forgiveness, receive the healing, learn from the experience, and move on. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. God, yes, help me to receive you as a God who is running toward me and your arms are wide open. What a beautiful, beautiful image. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.